After a decades-long hiatus, NASA is looking again toward landing people on the moon. Since that first landing 50 years ago, though, knowledge of medical science has advanced quite a bit. With what we know now and how it will help distant space travel, NASA astronaut and flight surgeon Dr. Serena Onion-Chancellor. Dr. Chancellor, good to have you on. Great to be here. You are a flight surgeon by title. Yeah, that's correct. I, I trained as a flight surgeon and practiced as one prior to entering the astronaut corps in 2009. And what does that title mean? I don't think you've cut anybody open and did no, a transplant yeah. up a in lot the of, space station. A lot of folks think that means that we perform surgery in space, and that's not the case. Uh, flight surgeon, of course, an old military term, is given to any physician that helps um, take care of astronauts and their families and works for NASA. And a lot of the medical research done that has advanced medical science in space has happened on the space station, I imagine, since that's where people have been the most. What are some of the advances? What are some of the research in medicine specifically going on up there? Yeah, there's a lot going on. I think the biggest one that impacts folks a lot is certainly our research in the cancer area. Um, cancer is something that impacts everybody. Everybody knows somebody who has been impacted, whether friend or family. So two of the biggest areas that we look at is um, we're doing research, certainly with protein crystal growth, which helps advance our discoveries towards treating colorectal and pancreatic cancer. And the reason we do this on the station, because I've had a lot of folks say, well, why not do it on the ground? What's so special about ISS? In space, in that microgravity environment, these protein crystals grow in such a perfect nature. They give scientists a great idea as to the internal 3D structure. So a scientist can look and say, hey, this is great. I'm going to target my drug to act right here. And they didn't have that insight on the ground. In other words, on the ground, there could be gravitational forces or vibration or something that would change the geometry of it such that you couldn't get to the essential understanding of it. That's a great way to explain it. Because of gravity, cells or crystals don't like to grow as much, certainly because they're outside of the body. They grow in 2D as compared to 3D in the space environment. And what about astronaut health itself? I know that bone density has long long known to be a concern and the uh, atrophying of muscle tissue as you're in weightless environments and they have all sorts of exercise equipment now in space. What else, though, beyond that has been learned with respect to what space travel itself might do to health? Well, certainly one of the big issues that we look at is the radiation environment. Uh, We're pretty well protected on board the space station because of the structure itself and the Earth's atmosphere. Um, But certainly as we head out and go back to the moon by 2024 and on to Mars after that, we are looking at how radiation does impact the body. Certainly, like you mentioned, bone health, always a concern. And so they liken our population on Earth to a rapidly aging population. And what do we know now that we didn't know 50 years ago, say? So interestingly, we do a pretty good job with our countermeasures, the exercising that we do on the space station to help counter a lot of the bone and muscle effects. Now, granted, most of our experience has been up to that six-month range. So we are still learning a lot, and we're trying to extrapolate those results out to a year or even a two- to three-year mission to Mars. And if there is special equipment or exercise gear that works to mitigate some of these effects on the space station, it can't fit those, likely, in the equipment that's going to go to the moon, much less Mars. So is there research to translate what we know medically into physical systems for trying to help people that are in space in tiny quarters. Yeah, absolutely. So the space station allotted us a lot of room to use these pieces of equipment, which we're trying to develop smaller ways to do that. But then also we look at medications, similar medications we use for osteoporosis on the ground. Um, We may be using on orbit or in route to Mars to help stem that bone loss. We're speaking with NASA astronaut and flight surgeon, Dr. Serena Onion-Chancellor. And tell us a little bit about 
your own history. You have been on the space station, and you were selected as, I guess, the 20th Corps of astronauts. Yeah, I was selected in the 20th astronaut class in 2009, and we, my crew launched a station June 6, D-Day of last year in 2018, and we spent 197 days on orbit and landed December 20th. And as the flight surgeon, since you don't do much medicine practice, practically up there. What did you do for six months? Yeah, so interestingly, a lot of people think that I went up there as a physician, which is not the case. Um, we're all trained equally across the board. I flew with geophysicists, test pilots. I My background is a physician. We're all kind of trained the same. So it's great. If we have a medical event on station, I'm there to help. But most of our time is spent doing the medical science uh, that we talked about previously. And another question with respect to the medical science above the neck, and that is the psychological aspect mm-hmm. I don't know any six people I'd want to spend six months contained in an elevator size situation with. And so I mentioned the psychological aspect of space travel, including the human relations part of it, yeah. is really something for research and development. Absolutely. The great thing is the space station is the size of a five-bedroom house, one of the brightest objects in the night sky. So I had plenty of room, but sure. Yeah, right. I have an app that tracks it, by the way. <laughs> there you go. And, uh, but heading back to the moon and Mars, our vehicles will be smaller. And as we head away from Earth towards Mars, the psychological impact of watching that Earth become smaller and smaller will play into effect. And so NASA does a lot of behavioral research right now, putting people into austere environments. Um, And we work with a lot of government agencies as well who often put their employees into austere environments. Because you'd hate to find out, well, they made it to Mars alive. The radiation didn't get them, but they all strangled each other. Exactly. Exactly. So we do a lot of work with that. And NASA, our agency does a fantastic job of supporting us and our families But there's going to have to be preparation on both sides before a long journey like that. Now, are you involved currently in the effort to get to the moon by that 2024? Absolutely. Everybody in the office is. Since I handle a lot of medical issues, we look at anything medical-wise that could impact our mission going back to the moon and then finally to Mars. And this could be anything dealing with the lunar lander to lunar dust on the surface and the health impacts of that. Um, You name it, we are dealing with it in the office. I just My first question is, what mission are we talking about and how can I help? Because there are so many parallel efforts going on. There has to be the rocket to actually fundamentally get people out of the Earth's beyond the space station into, I guess, the moon is considered deep space. Yeah, I mean, the radiation field at that point is considered deep space, certainly different from low Earth orbit. Right, and the gravitational so on. And then there's the development of the platform that the astronauts will be in. That's the lunar gateway. That's correct. Lunar gateway and so on. How do you coordinate, or is there a need yet to coordinate all the different parallel development efforts? from the human side to the rocketry side. Already coordinated. That's a great part. So we're always involved hand-in-hand with the engineers as issues come up, whether it's thermal, vibration. So we know exactly how these parts are being put together, and we always think about how the human, and we call it the human system, so our engineers better get it, how the human system fits into that overall piece. Now, the original moon landing was a pretty quick affair because of of the technology they had available. What's envisioned for the next time around? Would it be something more than a couple of hours and let's get the heck out of here? Well, so we're actually, the moon landing in 2024 certainly boots on the ground, but we're going to be there to stay because our goal is to build something that is sustainable on the lunar surface. We have got to practice on that surface before we get to Mars. Going back to the moon is not just so we say we've done it. It's for us to practice to basically make sure our engineering is robust enough so that we're ready to go to Mars. We've got to build lunar habitats, um, sustain life on the pl- on our moon, be able to grow food even, figure out how to protect ourselves from radiation. And when we have that figured out, then we head off to the red planet. So for people to spend eventually time on the moon comparable to the time people spend in the space station, 
then you have all those same effects. Yes, how, absolutely. How do you live with yourself and the other people well, that long and that far away? The good news is we get a little bit more gravity on the moon's surface, so that'll help somewhat. But we are still going to see the same bone and muscle effects, and we're going to have to figure out how to perform countermeasures to prevent that in our people when they live there on the surface. And I guess on the engineering side, too, there is the need to, I mean, each Apollo landing was a gigantic effort, and it took a couple of years in between each one, if I recall correctly. Here, if you're going to repopulate and resupply something where people are permanently, then you have to have a much more repeatable, sustainable, and efficient process to get there. Right, absolutely. I think sustainable is the key word because we're going to be doing constant um, sorties, I guess, to the moon's surface with our lunar lander so we can continue on with the science. But, yeah, it won't be quite like Apollo where you had one mission and then lots of time went by before the next. We really have to get to the point to where we're sustainable living in the Lunar Gateway, which is orbiting around the moon with constant missions to the surface. And NASA is a pretty big agency. It does rank well year after year, I think, tops in the best places to work in the federal government. <laughs> At the top. Very good esprit de corps there. In, I mean, the launch is in 2024, so not every single day, 9, 10, 12 hours a day, you're devoted to engineering and science and so forth. How much of a given person's time like yours is on the task and how much is bureaucracy? You know, majority is the task. So I let the folks above me, I let the administrator handle, handle the bureaucracy. Um, and, you know, we're tasked to do certain things. And so I really look at it as my mission as part of the overall vision is, hey, I've got to solve these issues. Could be lunar habitat that day. Could be, hey, what are we doing for radiation protection on the moon? I really just focus on that. And I leave the bureaucracy to those way above me. Dr. Serena Onion-Chancellor is an astronaut and flight surgeon. Thanks so much for joining me. Absolutely. Good to be here. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Launch the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. <coughs> Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. It's in our nature.